Well, well, good morning. Good to be with you once again, and I hope that it's been a wonderful week for you, an exciting week. Living for the Lord in these days can be very exciting, and looking forward to what He's doing from day to day. And I pray that you're anticipating God to work in your life each and every day. And for you who may not know Him, may this be the day in which you come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And may this be the day in which things change for you and uh, life takes on a new path and a new journey for you. And that is possible with Jesus Christ. And I'm praying that the message somehow today would excite, will encourage, will build one's faith in Jesus Christ. And I hope that you desire to grow in that grace and knowledge of Christ because it's so important to be able to do so. We live in a world today that many people are seeing themselves right in what they do. And even a lot of the people who are doing these mass shootings and the different hideous things that are taking place, they deem themselves to be right. And they are sincerely wrong. And uh, to hurt anyone else for any reason is really wrong. Um, we're seeing some days in which everybody sees themselves right in their own eyesight. And uh, we want to talk about that today, righteousness. Because sometimes what seems to be right is called wrong and and the wrong is called right. And we're all confused over the issue of what is right and what is wrong. And it's amazing what's taking place in our culture, in our society, in the world today. When it comes to this thing of what is right. And uh, that's what we're going to be dealing with today. This thing of righteousness. So let's pray and let's get into it. It's uh, <clears throat> continuing on that area of John 16, 8, that the Holy Spirit was going to convict us of three things. And we talked about conviction. Then we talked about sin, number one, that he's going to convict us of sin. Now, this is the second thing that he's going to convict us of, is righteousness. And then we'll be left with just judgment. But we want to talk about this thing called righteousness or being right. And, uh, and, in, and in whose eyesight are we right? And we need to uh, ask that question. Am I right in God's sight or am I right in man's sight? And which one do you want to be right in? And let me share this right off the bat. If you're right with God, you'll be right with man. Our whole issue is to be right with God and doing his will and doing what pleases him and if we do that we'll please humanity we'll please man well let's pray Father we thank you for your word and we thank you Lord for what you're going to share with us this morning as we sit oh God at your feet would you minister to us would you forgive us of our sins would you help us oh God 
to deliver your word in the manner in which you yourself would desire it to be delivered. May you speak through the vessel, and Lord will give you praise and will give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you really understand that righteousness brings about really what many people are looking for? Happiness, satisfaction, a joy and a peace, and contentment. Happiness depends on righteousness. When you do the right thing, you will be happy, you will be joyful, you'll be content, and you won't be worried when you do the right thing. And too many people don't look at doing the right thing as a way of helping themselves to be happy and content with life. When you live wrongly and you do the wrong things, you're not assured of anything. When you're wrong, you're almost waiting for the action to take place or correct itself because you know eventually there's going to be some consequences to that wrong that you're not going to really enjoy or like or be content with. But when you do what is right, you find a peace, a joy, a contentment, and yes, happiness even in life because you've done the right thing. And that's hard for us to believe because we see so many people doing the wrong thing and it seems like they're getting over, they're making it, they're successful, but it's only for a short while. It's only for a short while. When you do wrong, eventually you have to pay for that wrong. We see it in life constantly in way in which people live, the lifestyles that they choose to live, they're, they think they're happy by what they're doing and they wind up with miserable, miserable lives. And on the long run of life, you find that they are not really satisfied, nor do they enjoy it, nor are they happy with it. And we all have to come to that place to ask the question, am I content with my life? And I want to suggest to you, the only way you're going to find that contentment is if you know you're doing the right thing. The Holy Spirit is going to convict us of righteousness. Why? He's going to do that because every one of us think we're right. As adults, we think we are right just because we are adults. We believe that we can't make wrong decisions or do the wrong thing, but that we always make the right decision and do the right thing. And sometimes the right thing has no consideration of other people. It's just right for me. And we justify it. 
And we think, again, because we're intelligent, we're rational people, we can reason well, we have a good education, so the things we do are right based on our intellect and our rationale. And we really don't understand right and wrong. And we see that among many intelligent people today that really cannot discern the things that are really right and those things that are wrong. And that's what has to take place in the Christian life, that we can really know what is right. And sometime before we know what is right, we have to search it out in God's word to understand, is this really right? Is this God's will? Is this what God would have? Is this what God would have me to do? Is this the decision that God would have me to make? And therefore, we are in this prospect of learning to do what is right according to God's will for our life. <clears throat> are you one who believe you're right without facts or research? You're right without any facts or research. And you conclude that you're right just because of your rationale or your opinion or your view on something, that that makes you right. And I want to share with you, you can be wrong in your opinion and what you think if you have not searched it out, discover some facts about it, and see what history reveals to us as that which is right. <clears throat> now, someone may ask as we go through this, why did God take so long <coughs> in bringing Jesus Christ on the scene. Especially from Genesis when he tells us that his son would come and that in a sense he would stump upon the head of Satan. And yet from that verse in Genesis all the way up to John we discover that Jesus comes in what we call the New Testament which is thousands of years from the time of Genesis to the time in which Christ himself is born. Now, we need to understand that the promise had been made 
that the serpent would be destroyed and that Jesus would come. And that is shared with us in Genesis chapter 3. Now, as we march down through history, why is it that God would say the Holy Spirit would have to convict us of righteousness? We're going to just walk through history just a little bit. And when I say, in all honesty, I love history. I'm not a historian. Big difference. But I do love reading about history and discovering facts about history. And and like I said, there's so much history out here that no one person can really claim they know it all. But it's good to have some historical background on things because they do give you insight in helping to understand what is right and what is wrong. What may work, what may not work. And I want to suggest to you, again, why is it that God would say that the Holy Spirit would convict us about righteousness. And if man is as smart as he is and intelligent as he is, why would it take Jesus Christ to come and really teach us what righteousness is and to become our righteousness? Why couldn't Abraham be that person of righteousness? Why couldn't we learn righteousness from him? Or why couldn't we learn it from Jacob or from Joseph or from Moses or from David or from Solomon, the most wisest king that ever lived? Why couldn't we have learned from these biblical names, from these biblical individuals, righteousness? And I want to state to you because they in themselves were not righteous. Each one of them had their own fault, their own sin, dealing with their own issues of life. So righteousness could not be established in them. Then when we look at history, it's amazing. Amber, the sixth king of the Amorites or the king of old Babylon empire reigned from 1750 BC he lived for some time but he also wrote 282 laws to govern the Babylonians in the cities or his empire. One of the laws stated, and you will find it in our law also, in his code that he had written, that a man is innocent until found guilty. And oftentimes we think that is something that came about in modern law. 
But he basically said, in the Babylonian law and code, innocent till proven guilty. But why couldn't we have learned righteousness from him? Why couldn't he have given us a thing of righteousness? Because even he himself was a very cruel ruler, dictator, emperor, king, whatever you may want to call him. He was not right. And that's the things we have to look at. Then we can come down to Ramsey. The the second pharaoh of Egypt. From 1300 to 1213 B.C. He ruled for 65 years. One of the longest rulers. And he died at the age of 90. Why couldn't he have taught us about righteousness? Again, because of his own sin, his own faults, although he did many good things, he was not perfect. So Ramsey could not have really taught us righteousness or shown us what righteousness really even looks like. And you move on from Ramsey to Cyrus the Great. He is, you could say, the founder of the Persian Empire that Alexander the Great comes out of and even makes it greater following in his steps of his father, Philip. And yet, Alexander the Great fought many engagements, conquered many lands as far as into India. But yet, I think it was 33 years old he died, a young man. And here... He is still studied today in many military schools, his strategy of war. He never really lost a battle or was defeated. And he still studied in many military schools. Alexander the Great, why couldn't he have taught us? Sin Shu Hung of China, 259-210 B.C. Invented the title Emperor. And he was the one who began to unify China. Why couldn't he have taught us about righteousness? These are great men. These are dynamic men in their times. And the great things that they achieved. 
Why could not they have taught us about righteousness? And then you have a Julius Caesar. The builder of Rome, the mighty empire. Why couldn't Julius Caesar really establish a code of really righteousness and wrongs? And righteousness is wrong for the Roman Empire based on what Rome had need of. So Rome itself was wrong in conquering many, many individuals and the crucifixions and the deaths of many people. As great as they were, yet they were wrong. Epicurus, 341 B.C., all these are before Christ. The founder of the Hellenistic philosophy. He is the one that said to man, don't fear death because the gods do not punish humans. And we still hear some of his philosophy that God is so loving that he will not send anyone to hell or he will not punish anyone because the gods do not punish. God does not punish. But however, in his writings, you find these words. And uh, see if these words sound familiar to you. Because oftentimes we credit them to our founding fathers. And yet the founding fathers of America, these were very intelligent men. Those men who wrote and yet in their own writings and desire of being free, they enslaved others. Why they were yet fighting for their own freedom from England. And they drew up their documents, the Declaration of Independence, and you find these words, and yet they do not live up to their own words, but they are repeating the words of another great historian, another great philosopher, Epicurus at this time. And in the writing, we find that all men created equal with inalienable rights, such as life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That did not really come from our founding fathers. That came from Epicurus. The Hellenistic founder, philosopher. It comes from his writings. Those who use those words and pen those words, all men created equal did not live up to what even they penned or they did not count anybody other than those who look like themselves as being created by God and have certain rights. So 
they were not right. They were wrong in many of their own ways, but yet they saw themselves right. They saw themselves right. With these great men, should not one be a person of righteousness? When you go to Judges 21-25, it's amazing what is said there. Judges 21, yeah, Judges 21-25. And we need to hear exactly what is being said there in Judges. Because we often forget this is man. And man always sees himself right in his own eyesight. So it says, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Or everyone did as they saw what is right. It was not no set rules of righteousness. They just did as they saw fit. And a lot of people function that way today. It's not about knowing what is right. It's just how they see it. And that's what's right. So in Proverbs 12, we have something that's very similar. And in verse 15, we find ourselves wrestling with this thing of righteousness all the time. So in 12.15, Proverbs, he says... The way of a fool seems right. The ways of a fool seems right to him. Everybody else around him, everybody else listening to him can be saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And he'll say, he's right. He's right. And one of the reasons that he says that is this. Every man sees himself right in his own eyesight. And every man begins to judge other men. What make you right and what makes me wrong? And we do that with one another. Why are you right and I'm wrong? And we question that then. Over in chapter 14 and verse 12 he simply says it this way there is a way that seems right man looks at life and he looks at things and and he makes his judgment and it seems good and it seems right but the verse tells us this it seems right to a man but in the end it leads to death that which he think is right leads him to death or empty or in a dying state is that which destroys him because it seems right but it's not right and something can seem right but it's not right have you ever seen food and it looks really good and you taste it, and you can't get it out of your mouth quick enough, it may look good. It may look delicious. But it's the worst thing you've ever tasted. 
That's righteousness, son. We think it's right, it seems right, but it just leads to destruction. It leads us to death in life. And then over in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 2, he simply says, A fool finds no pleasure in understanding. And that's where we are maybe as a society today. People don't seek understanding. They only seek to have things their way. They don't seek out truth. They don't study it. They don't look for it. They just want it their way. He says, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing, now catch this, his own opinion. He is delighted that he can give his opinion and what he thinks is right and is wrong. But he takes somehow a joy and a pleasure in arguing his own opinion of his own thought of being right. Now, we need to understand something. And uh, we're going to have to spend two Sundays, two weeks on this subject of righteousness. And what I'm trying to do today is just give us a basis of understanding why would God have to send Jesus Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of righteousness. And Jesus would become our righteousness because in Jesus, there's no fault. There's no sin. There's no unjust motive in Jesus Christ. And all that he did, he did it according to the will of the Father. And in God, there is no sin. Let God be true and every man a liar. God is not a man that he should lie. So all that God speaks to us is truth. And truth will always lead us in the path of righteousness. It will always lead us in the path of righteousness. And it will help us to make good sound righteous decisions if we're in God's word and we're truly following the Lord. Now, the Lord says something and this is hard for us to accept but in Romans chapter 3 he tells us something about ourselves and people don't want to accept this and they don't want to believe it but again, God's word is truth. And God speaks truth to us, whether we want to accept it or not. He speaks truth to us. And he says in Romans 3.10, he says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Not even one. And you come down in verse 12, he says, There is no one who does good, not even one. All those men that I mentioned, there's a lot of good things they did, but it was not good enough to get them to heaven. It was not good enough 
to govern all people. It may govern Rome well. It may govern the Persians well. It may govern the United States well. But righteousness is that which governs all people, all nations. Righteousness has the ability to govern all of us rightly and to make sure we're able to treat fellow citizens or fellow human beings rightly. And he says, there's not one. There's not one. Not even one. And we need to understand that. There's not even one. In Second Timothy 3.16, he makes this statement to us, and he simply says to us, and we need to understand this, in Second Timothy 3.16, he says, Boy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, now catch this, and training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. What is God saying about us? We need to be trained in this area of righteousness or doing what is right. And the Holy Spirit is going to convict us of righteousness. Why? Because we have to become a people who live under the authority of God, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we don't know that righteousness. We are in the process of learning it as we learn his word. Do we learn righteousness? And as the Holy Spirit convicts us of those things that are right, even when it doesn't fit us rationally, our reasoning can't understand that, and it really does seem senseless to us or foolish to us. It's the right thing to do. Why? Because Scripture commands us to do it. God tells us to do it. That's what is right. That's what is right. And he says there, there's that training in righteousness. Well, who's going to do the training? The Holy Spirit, the one who's going to convict us and teach us all things about Christ. He does that. And what text does he use? What book does he use to teach us righteousness? It's called the Bible. It's called the Bible. And guess one of the books that people don't pick up? Even our so-called lawmakers and our politicians, what a different it would be if they spent time really in the Word of God. And they would allow the Holy Spirit to really, really minister to them. Well, two more verses and we're going to close out. Let's go to Jeremiah 23. Why don't you go back to the Old Testament in Jeremiah 23? Because we need to establish something about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we'll see it more next week as we talk about Jesus being 
that righteous one on our behalf, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Boy, there's so much in that verse. To unpack that verse, that we who thought we were right and on the right path and doing the right things to get to heaven were basically told, you're wrong. You have to follow Jesus. You have to accept Jesus. You have to accept his ways. You have to live in the manner in which he himself lived. And the Holy Spirit will teach you how to live that way. That he who knew no sin, that was perfect, that was righteous, that was holy, became sin for us for this purpose, that we might become the righteousness of God. And he is our righteousness. We have no righteousness in and of ourselves. But it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that God the Father sees in each and every one of us who name the name Jesus Christ. It is not our righteousness. And that righteousness is placed upon us. It's an inherited righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ and it's imputed upon us it's not my righteousness it took me a while to understand that Gus Brown is a sinner and still sins I'm glad that they're shorter they're not the long list that used to be there but dealing with still some things of sin whether it be in thought or action I'm still learning how to live righteously. I'm still learning how to do the right things. I'm still learning how to really sit and hear the Holy Spirit lead me and guide me that I'm doing what is right in the sight of God, not in so much in the sight of man, but in the sight of God. And you have to be willing to do that. And it's amazing that what takes place when we allow the Lord to really, really minister to us. So in Jeremiah 23, in verse 6, I want you to come to this verse with me. In his day, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called. Now catch this name. And he's talking future. But I want you to catch the name. He's talking about Israel future. That they're going to live in peace. And there's going to be a time of safety for them. But it comes by this name. The Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness the Lord our righteousness Jesus Christ is our Lord he is our righteousness Jesus the Lord of righteousness now a lot of people don't want to accept Jesus Christ according to what scripture declares him to be the son of God to be God to be our savior But he is the Lord of righteousness. He is the Lord of righteousness. 
And the Holy Spirit is going to teach us how to live as Christ lived in pleasing the Father. Now, go to Proverbs chapter 30. And as I said, this will be our closing verse. Because I want you to really catch this. Go to verse 5. He says, Every word of God is flawless. Every word of God is flawless. There's no mistakes in it. I can trust it. If I can transfer that verse over to the person of Jesus Christ, who is said to be in St. John chapter 1, in the very beginning, that the Word was with God and the Word was made flesh. And the Word is flawless. And Jesus is sinless. There's no mistakes. There's no sin. There, 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 there's nothing we can point at. There's nothing we can blame. There's nothing that we can say about Jesus other than that he was righteous, holy, pure, clean. Every word of God is flawless. Now catch this. He is a shield. Now who's that he? He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. For those who do what? Take refuge in him. Are you taking refuge in Jesus Christ? In his righteousness? Or are you trying to defend yourself with your own righteousness? It won't work. And that's what the Holy Spirit is going to convict us of. That our righteousness is, it has all kinds of faults. It's not faultless. You may see yourself right. You may think you're right. You may glory in your opinion and so forth. But are you willing to allow God the Holy Spirit to convict you of what is really right? And what is really right is going to be discovered right here. Right here. When we allow the Word of God to get into our minds, into our hearts, we will live out life righteously. As long as we reject God's Word and don't follow this Word, and we deny this as being truth, we live in a state of unrighteousness thinking we are right. How can we see this somewhat played out? in everyday life. When a young man goes from woman to woman, leaving a trail of children that he really is not responsible for, we see the unhappiness, we see the brokenness, we see the shame, we see the destruction 
that takes place with sin. And yet, if we would follow what God's word says, God is not against sex, but he has put a limit on it, he says, in the marriage bed. He limited. We remove the limits and we run rapid. A lot of young ladies, because they did not follow this word of God, their life is a life of misery. Their life has a lot of unhappiness in it. Their life is a struggle for them. There's not a lot of joy. There's a lot of hurt in the life of the children that they've given life to because the curse of the parents are sometimes what? Passed down to the second, third, and fourth generation. Now, we don't want to believe that. But really take a good look at life and ask the question, do you see a lot of pain and hurt in this world based on this unrighteousness? Where a man will not do what is right, where a young lady will not do what is right, where children will not do what is right, where society as a whole is going against God's word. We see all this unrighteousness that brings about hurt and pain into the lives of people. Because we will not follow this and believe that's what's between these pages. God is teaching us righteousness. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, O oh God, that you would minister to us. And Lord, as we continue on this subject of Jesus Christ, our righteousness, and that the Holy Spirit is going to convict us of what is right, would you, O oh God, Open our hearts and our minds to you. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for your time. And uh, may God bless you. May God keep you. Keep looking up to him because one day he's going to come. He's going to come. You don't want to miss it. Keep looking up to Jesus. If you haven't accepted him as Lord, do it today. Don't put it off another day, another minute. Just simply pray, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me. Save me and see if he won't do it. Amen. God bless you. God keep you and keep looking up to him. Thank you very much. Bye bye.